facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to The Kale Clark Show on this Tuesday. It's the 8th of August, 2023. And you can call me by calling, and I'll start out with another number eight, actually three of them, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Speaking of eights, eights are wild. Do you know on this day in 1988, 8888, Wrigley Field turned on the lights for the first time. We, we might talk about that if we have time, but speaking of shining lights, today is the Feast of St. Dominic, one of the greatest saints in the history of the church who led people to the light of truth. We'll talk about him later, but first I want to get into this, and just before I do, let me give out uh, the email address, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com, kale at relevantradio.com, you can follow me on the X app, formerly known as Twitter. My handle is at kale clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. (sighs) Everyone wants to be happy. Now, St. Dominic, one of the interesting things about St. Dominic is that he didn't write any books, he didn't leave behind any corpus of writings. But his followers certainly did. Dominicans are known for their love of truth, using their intellect, as we all should, to seek God, find God, and help other people do exactly that. Now, somebody, one of his, uh, St. Dominic's uh, followers, another Dominican, who certainly did write a lot, the angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas, also a Dominican, he said, everyone wants to be happy. This is something that's common to all human persons. We seek happiness no matter what, even sinners, they think uh, through committing great sins, they're going to they're somehow be happier through this. Even criminals committing crimes, they think somehow this is going to give them some sort of happiness. Well, it's not the case. But one of the things that everyone is looking for is to be happy. And according to a new study, this is an interesting new study coming out of the University of Chicago, that the best predictor of happiness in America, the one thing that's going to determine... The, or at least is the leading factor, at least from a secular point of view, as to whether or not you're going to be happy in the United States is whether or not you're married. So th- we're, we're, this is really kind of a kind of an interesting take. So I, I really want to I really want to delve into this with you and go through this and see if this makes any sense to you. And kind of kind of link to that is another little mini controversy that was erupting on the X app, the Twitter app. Uh, just a couple of days ago, about whether or not priests should be married. And um, I, I don't know how you would feel about this. If, if your parish priest was married, was a married priest and perhaps even had kids, w- would that bother you? Would that bother you as a parishioner? Would you Would you like that? Would you sort of, doesn't matter to me. What, do you, what would you think of that? Would that upset your apple cart in any way, shape, or form? 888-914-9149. You're going to hear from... A married priest, a married Roman Rite Catholic priest, who kind of weighs in on the subject. He had something to do with this, with this story. I'll, I'll tell you about that uh, as we go along here. But I do want to talk about this new study coming out of U Chicago about this the single biggest determining factor in happiness, according to this study, is whether or not you're a married adult in the United States. Do you buy this? Do you not? Here's here's where I got this from. It's from a website called Unheard unheard.com. It was written by uh, W. Bradford Wilcox and David Bass. And 
Here, 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 just going to run through this with you and, and then see what you think about it. 888-914-9149. It says, quote, Americans who are married with children are now leading happier and more prosperous lives on average than men and women who are single and childless. Is that statement surprising? In an age that prizes individualism, workism, I guess that means just people finding their identity in their work and maybe becoming workaholics to some extent, and a host of other self-centric isms, in a society that prizes a lot of these isms above marriage and family, it may may well be the case. But the reality is that nothing currently predicts happiness in the United States right now better than a good marriage. So this new research that came out of the University of Chicago has found that marriage is, quote, the most important differentiator of who is happy in America, and that failing marriage rates, falling marriage rates, are a chief reason why happiness has declined on a national stage. You might think that the incredibly divided political climate, uh, the deep chasms that have been bigger than the Grand Canyon that have been drawn between right and left, between liberals and conservatives, uh, is it the divided states of America as opposed to the United States of America? You might think that that is the main contributing factor to people's unhappiness. You might think it's something else. You might think it's some of the cultural controversies uh, that are gripping the nation. But according to the study, the most different, the, the biggest differentiator in terms of happiness, who's happy and who's not in America, is whether or not, as an adult, you were happily married. Interesting. In fact, this research surveyed thousands of respondents. And there is a 30 percentage point difference in happiness between married and unmarried Americans. And this is true for both men and women, by the way. So one of the researchers, his name was Sam Peltzman, said, quote, marital status is and has been a very important marker for happiness. The happiness landslide comes entirely from the married. Low happiness characterizes all types of non-married. No subsequent population categorization will yield so large a difference in happiness across so many people. End of quote. So there are other factors that that obviously do factor in to people's happiness. And, and the article does talk about this, people's educational achievements, uh, geography, where they live, um, th- things like that. But marital status is the income is another big one. But marital status is most influential when it comes to predicting happiness in this study. In this study. I wonder what you think about this. 888 Now, obviously, in the, in the Catholic tradition one not need to be married uh, in order to find fulfillment. Uh, The celibate vocation, celibacy for the sake of the kingdom, is a real vocation, and that's not really factored in here. I don't know if they've interviewed anybody who is celibate for the sake of the kingdom, whether they're a layperson or a consecrated religious or perhaps a member of the clergy, but it seems to be fairly wide-reaching, obviously looking more at the lay status, if you will, and not necessarily, obviously, not not interviewing only Catholics here, but this is a stable difference over time, and, and it and it doesn't matter in terms of the, whether you're happier because you're married. If you're not married, that that could that could, by the way, cover a, a multitude of life states, such as 
somebody who's divorced, somebody who's separated from their spouse, somebody whose spouse has passed away, somebody who's never married at all. All, all of those are sort of lumped in with, with those who are not married, according to the study from the University of Chicago. Now, what's interesting also is that uh, this, re- this researcher, Sam Peltzman, says that this drop-off in happiness has really become precipitous since the turn of the millennium. And, and, and it's really interesting, yeah, the, 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 the aughts, uh, the 2010s, the, the, the 2020s, they're off to an auspicious start in terms of how unhappy, relatively speaking, people, people are. And they're, they're trying to say, these researchers are trying to say that the decline in the married share of adults, that, that the percentage of people, adult Americans who are not married, has gone down sharply, especially since the year 2000. According to them, statistically, that explains the decline in overall happiness. I wonder if you would agree with that or not. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Now, here's another interesting wrinkle to this study as well. The decline is even more concentrated among less educated and lower income Americans because college educated Americans, affluent Americans, have seen no change in their happiness. It's been pretty steady. But uh, less educated Americans, lower income Americans, tend to be getting married even less than the general population. And they interviewed a psychologist and author. Uh, Dr. Jean Twenge, and uh, she is, she's kind of analyzed this as well, and she, she says that the decline in marriage among the working-class American and among poor Americans, relatively speaking, that's one of the biggest factors explaining why these, these groups are less happy compared to the so-called privilege. Now, now I mean, just naturally speaking, we we've all we we know that money doesn't buy happiness. There's no there's no question about that, and we all have probably had experience of. If you've ever done missionary work in another country, I was talking to somebody who who did do that, who was doing some missionary work in South America, and talked about these families that he was meeting, and they were these kid the kids were playing with soccer balls that they made out of rags, and they couldn't have been happier. The families were happy. They were happy. They were living their faith too certainly coming from a Catholic environment. That, that's, that, that comes into play, too. But they didn't have a lot materially, but they were still happy. They were still quite happy. And we all know many people who are very well off financially who are totally unhappy. So there's not always a correlation there. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, according to the survey, the U.S. is increasingly divided when it comes to happiness between those who have it and those who don't. And, and this, this study out of the University of Chicago is saying a big, big factor is whether or not people are getting or remaining married. So uh, the, the sort of takeaway from this is there's got to be something, we've got to do something to fix marriage, especially in working class communities. The, fab- the fabric of family life has been torn apart in, in a lot of these communities. And so, and here's, here's something else I wanted to ask you about this, because as a Canadian, as a Canadian, you, you guys have to educate me on this. 888 The article talks about penalties, penalties that are doled out to those who are married in America. What, what do they mean by that? Well, it, it talks about stuff that's going on at the federal level where policymakers have 
tax benefits or, or, or tax policies and safety net benefits that punish marriage, especially for the working class families and those who are relatively poor. Uh, Medicaid programs, something called the Earned Income Tax Credit. Apparently, this penalizes couples with children if they do marry. So a lot of people are living, they're not married, but they have kids, they're living together, and they, they will not get married because they get financially punished for this. You guys have to tell me about this. Is, is that what's going on here? Is the government really uh, sort of making it less desirable for these people to tie the knot? It, it's interesting. Um, I, I would say just, just one thing that, that I have noticed just off the top of my head. I, I was, I was kind of shocked to find this out. Maybe I shouldn't be, but in the United States, in terms of marriage, children, family rearing, it is said that the United States is by far the worst country for child care in the developed world. There, there, is, there is zero paid maternity leave in most of the United States. That, that's something that kind of shocks me, to be honest with you. Um, now, in some states, like, uh, I think there's nine states and the District of Columbia also, they have some degree of, of paid parental leave. But, but federal law only guarantees new parents only, only six weeks of unpaid, unpaid time off. And not everybody even qualifies for that. And th- this, this really does, when you look at what's going on in other countries, um, and I'm not sure where, where Canada ranks on this, but I do know that you can, you can, you can potentially be paid, uh, still being paid for, from your job, and I don't know how, what percentage of your income you get, but you can go up to, I think, 18 months. And you're guaranteed to get your job back. You can, they can't force you out because you, you're having a child. So, so just uh, making it financially viable uh, and, and supportive for, for people that want to have children, I think that kind of factors into this as well. But I really, really, really want to hear what you think about this. And we'll also talk about this whole issue of marriage and the priesthood. I'm going to tell you about that after the break. Would, would it bother you at all if you had a parish priest, a pastor, an associate pastor who was married, who had a family? Would that... Would that upset your catholic apple cart should it triple eight nine one four nine one four nine we'll be right back on the kale clark show this is the kale clark show giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back on this Tuesday. Just before the break, we were talking about a new study out of the University of Chicago saying that the number one marker of happiness in America as an adult is whether or not you're married. Interesting. Now, obviously not coming from a faith perspective, not from that perspective at all, but uh, what, are, what, do you, what do you think are some of the reasons why uh, this is this is happening. Why why marriage is kind of on the fritz in the culture? Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. I also asked you, would it bug you in any way if your parish priest was a married Roman Rite Catholic priest? Now maybe you do belong to another rite. There's not just one right way, if you will, R I T E, to celebrate the liturgy. There are of course the Eastern Catholic rites. Most Catholics are what we call Roman Rite Catholics or Latin Rite Catholics, hence the term Roman Catholic. Of course, that refers to the whole church as well. But there are Ukrainian Rite Catholics, there are Byzantine Rite Catholics, there are Coptic Catholic Catholics out there, Egyptian. And so there are all these rites, and if you've ever attended a, a divine liturgy, as they call it, uh, that's their name for the Mass in these Eastern Rites, 
you would feel like you're in an Eastern Orthodox church, but it, but it's not. It's Catholic. Uh, they're in union with the Pope. And it's very common for them to have a married priesthood. Well, th- this is kind of a, we've talked about this before on the program, but uh, I did see on Twitter slash X, the X app, um, an interesting discussion that, that a guy had posted, a guy named Thomas Pelega had posted an image on Twitter of a married priest and his family. And I don't know where he, he might not have known who this priest was. Um, but the actual priest in question who was in the photo did weigh in on this. Um, so this guy, Thomas Polega on Twitter said, he's posting this very nice picture of this priest with his four children. And the comment was, we already have married priests. Is this really what we're afraid of having more of? And of course, there were all these people weighing in on this in, in the comments. And um, the priest in question actually weighed in as well. His name is Father Joshua Whitfield. He's uh, based in the Dallas, Texas area, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he said, hey, that, that picture is actually of my family. It, it is public domain. And my mother actually took that picture. <laughs> but I do have a problem with it being used in this context. And then he actually said, by the way, if you want to know what I actually think about this, I wrote an article about it. And this is a married priest talking about what, whether he thinks priests should be celibate or not, for the most part. I'm going to tell you what he said in just a bit, but I want to hear what you think about this. Would it, would it affect you in any way? What are your thoughts on this, if your parish priest happened to be married? Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Joseph in Apache Junction, Arizona, in the Phoenix area. Hey, Joseph. Hello. Yes, uh, my opinion um, or feeling about parish priests being married, I think that would benefit the Church so greatly um, to have a leader... Uh, with children that's not separated from the rest of society where they, you know, they go in and they go into the seminaries where they have homosexual recruiters and most of them are homosexual and they're doing all their stuff or whatever. And, you know, then, so, I mean, I just think it would be better. I would welcome uh, mandatory celibacy to end. It okay, well, like a, mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. It's like the cult, it almost seems like the culture of Catholicism, and, and that this is not just the Latin, right? But it almost seems like they, like they favor as if, you know, celibacy is a better way to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all, Joseph, Joseph thank, thank you for your call. And um, you're obviously of the opinion that, hey, we should be re- expanding uh, marriage in the priesthood and uh, of course celibacy is not intrinsic to the priesthood obviously there are married Catholic priests as I had mentioned before and some of them are even in the Roman rite many of them are clergy converts uh, from, and that's, that's the case for Father Joshua Whitfield in fact he's, he was a, an Anglican clergyman who converted with his family more on that in just a minute now I mean some of the other stuff that you said I, I, I mean you'd mentioned uh homosexual recruiters in the seminary I, and practices going on seminary I, I don't know how widespread that is I would hope that it is not the case I know that there obviously were problems with, with that in seminaries in, in various places in the world over the past few decades uh, that has been something that the church has been obviously trying to root out um, but ha- having said that that's, that's kind of separate from the, the larger question that we're asking here but I and which which we're going to try to I don't know if we can answer the question or not, but my question is basically, 
would it affect you in any way? Would it affect your the way you look at your faith in any way if that was the case? Let's go to Jessica in Wisconsin. By the way, the phone number to call, 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. It's Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, Jessica. Hi, how are you? Great. Thanks for calling. I want to hear your take Absolutely. on this. Yeah, so I grew up um, Missouri Synod Lutheran, so, and my dad oh. is a pastor, so wow. I grew up um, knowing what it was like for, you know, somebody um, to be married and have kids, and I converted to Catholicism in about 2018, and even though I think it's great to have somebody that's married and can be fruitful that way, maybe have kids, I don't think they'd be able to spend the amount of time devoting their lives to be as holy Um, if they had a wife or kids. I mean, it's crazy. At home, I have five kids. I've been married for 11 Mm -hmm. years, and there's a lot of time where we can't find that time to pray as much as we want to. So I think if priests were able to um, maybe not be married and keep that, I think they would be able to dedicate that time to show us more holiness and be truly connected. For, hey Jessica, first of all, welcome home to the Catholic Church. That that's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Thank great, you. great to hear about your conversion. And and stay on the line here for a yeah. second because it, it's interesting that you you mentioned that you're from a Lutheran background. There's another convert from Lutheranism is pretty famous, Father Richard John Newhouse, the late Father Richard John Newhouse. I could say the late great Father Richard John Newhouse, very prolific, uh, a former editor of First Things Magazine, and he, before he converted to Catholicism, he was a Lutheran minister, but he was celibate. What's kind of interesting is that, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a revert to the faith, and but, you know, I left the church, came back, but along the way, I was in Protestant ministry. And I can tell you, and any, anybody who hasn't been involved in the Protestant world, as you, as you were, Jessica, you can say this as well, not being married as a clergy person is an incredibly odd place to be. It's an incredibly odd place to be. It's, it's, it's totally opposite, and I don't think... Catholics necessarily appreciate that that is the case. That there's enormous pressure on young men to be to be married. And um, Father Richard John Newhouse was. It's one thing if you're looking for a wife, <laughs> but which a lot of them are. I mean, I remember when I was in the Protestant seminary, that was we were spending a lot of time looking for that bride. Uh, you know, trying to get the uh, MRS degree, if you will. But having said that. Uh, Richard John Newhouse wrote a book before he converted to Catholicism called Freedom from Ministry. And he talked about how being celibate for him, even as a Protestant clergyman, was incredibly freeing because he, he was able to free up so much time for, for prayer and for ministering to his congregants. And, and there's certainly an aspect of that. There's certainly an aspect of that, Jessica. Um, Scott Hahn, I remember Scott Hahn once telling me when I, I, I ran into him uh, at an event and, and and he, he told me that at, at various points, I don't think this is a secret, um, at various points throughout his career, Catholic bishops have called him, because obviously he came from the Protestant world, he was a Protestant clergyman, and they, they offered to, hey, we, I would like to ordain you for my diocese, you know, as, and it would, with a dispensation from celibacy. Are you interested in the priesthood? And he always said no. He said no, because one of the, one of the reasons why he said that is because he said, you know, even when I was a married Protestant clergyman, I sometimes felt like, in some ways, a bigamist, because I've got my church family on one hand, I've got my, my actual flesh and blood fa- family on the other hand, 
and there's a parishioner who needs a visit, needs a pastoral visit, they're in the hospital, but my kid's got a ball game or something like that. Situations like that always come up. And you're not always free uh, for ministry in, in a certain way. So there, there is that aspect of it. And it it's, it's true, it's, it's real, there, there, it's, it's practical. I think that's one of the practical arguments for, for priestly celibacy for sure. Um, but I, but I, I do want to push back on, on something you said, Jessica, just this, this idea that they have more... They, they have more time to be holy. So we, every single, and I know that you believe this too, every single Catholic is called to the heights of holiness, whether you're celibate or not. And you think, well, I'm busy. I've got kids, I've got a job, I've got pressures that you don't know how my schedule's like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're all called to be canonizable saints. And you think that's impossible. We have to get away from this idea, this, this two-tiered version of Catholicism where... Oh, this this is clericalism at its finest. At the end of the day, this idea that only the priest can truly be holy, only the bishops, everyone else is just trying to survive. And I, I'm not saying that you were saying that, Jessica, but I do think a lot of Catholics still buy into this mindset that holiness is for the clergy. And in some people, you know, extreme versions of this, people it was often said that the, the lady is to simply pray, pay, and obey. Uh, no, not the case. We, ha- we have to seek sanctity as well in the middle of the world, in the midst of our duties, e- even with our duties. And that shouldn't, in some ways, this can properly looked at, this, this can help us to be holy. So anyways, it just, just something I wanted to say about that, uh, because that's something that we all need to keep in mind when we, when we talk about these issues. But thank you very much for that call, Jessica. God bless you in Wisconsin. Let's go now, 888 Nine one four nine is the number to call. Let's go now to Dean in Stockton, California. Hello, Dean. Hi, Craig. Gail, how are you doing? I'm I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for calling in. Um, I'm going to try not to occupy the rest of your program, but I have so much <laughs> to say about the situation. Um, I grew up congregational. I'm, I'm evangelical. Eventually, I became a missionary. Served with Mother Teresa's priest. Um, wow. I traveled the world with different mission work, and then I um, came to. Central Valley Stockton. I served as a priest here for 18 years active. And um, eventually, now I'm married. I'm um, married in the Catholic Church in the, in the cathedral. And um, the, mm. the, the greatest blessing of my life, um, in terms of my activity, the, the greatest blessing of my life has been twofold. One is to serve as a Roman Catholic priest, mm-hmm. uh, which is, there, there's no greater life for a man than that, that I can conceive of. And the second one is to, is to raise a child or to raise children. And to mm-hmm. do the and so in 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 a relationship with, with you know a loving relationship with a wife, um, the issue I want to mention now because my, I could talk too long and you have to you'd have to stop me is just to simply say that um, there is the, the the priesthood, especially mm-hmm. in the in the pastoral of, of the, in the parish situation, um, the people look to that priest to be um, to be a hundred percent for them. Everyone believes. Mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if you're a kind and loving priest, everyone believes that you are 100% for them. If they're, mm-hmm. they're looking for the love of God in that priest. That's true. Um, and, and, and they continue to do that with me. They, I, I do other work. I've been teaching in schools for nine years. I, uh, but they continue to call me Father Dean, and they continue to look in me for that, that, that kind of um, presence, that, that availability of, of, of spirit. Um, and that was very hard for my wife when, when we were married because she she probably felt that they were still looking at me as a priest. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if I if, if a priest is to marry, because I know many married 
uh, ministers and, and Orthodox priests and Eastern Rite, um, yep. the wife would have to be the wife would have to be one hundred percent on board with that kind of expectation, and and the children too. They would have to grow up understanding that um, that there's just a dynamic that's not yeah. found in other another in other. Um, denominations that's, that's very true that's very true yep. D- dean that, that's that's really interesting stuff and let me let me just hop in there because you've touched on something that i don't think catholics fully think about like if you are in favor of a more widespread uh married catholic clergy um and by, by the way if this ever happened if if rome ever uh, if this ever became more of a norm here's how it would go it would go exactly the way it goes in the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, in that, and this has always been the way it's been since apostolic times, essentially, a bishop would be would always be celibate. Now, there I know there you might say well, there were married bishops in the old times, whatever. Okay, fine, but this is how it would actually go: bishops would be celibate, priests would be allowed to be married. However, you'd have to be married before you were ordained, because whatever state of life you're in when you're ordained, that's where you've got to stay. If your wife passes away at some point during your priestly ministry, you are not permitted to remarry. It's the same way for Catholic deacons. Married permanent deacons, if their wife passes away at some point along the line, uh, they, they are not allowed to remarry either. And so some of them, some of them, if this does, and I did know one guy that this happened to, um, he actually went on to study for the priesthood and, and became a priest, um, got the next degree up of holy orders, if you will. And so that, that's how it would actually go. That's how it would actually go. So it's not necessarily a situation where a, a guy who's already ordained a priest would be able to say, oh, I'd, I'd like to get married too. No, it, it wouldn't work that way. So, And you would know that going in. And, and what you said also, Dean, about the family, the wife. In, in the Protestant world, there, there's a tremendous amount of pressure, and I've seen this happen to a lot of families. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on the children of the pastor. You're expected to be perfect you know, shiny, happy people, if you will, uh, without any problems, without any behavioral problems. And it, it talks about that in the, in the New Testament, right? I mean, bishops, hey, bishops can't be bigamous when it says the bishop. And I've had people, non-Catholic Christians, kind of throw this one at me. Ah, what, what do you think of the New Testament verse that says bishops can only be married to one wife? Well, oh, obviously they must be married to somebody. No, that's not what it means. It means, yes, some married men were ordained, of course, in the early church, but that, that simply means you can't have multiple wives. That's, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that you have to have a wife to be a bishop. That's crazy. What happens if your wife dies? Well, do you have to? No, that's, that's not how it goes. But in the Protestant world, very often in some, in some denominations, in some Pentecostal denominations especially, the pastor's wife is actually called, get this, the first lady of the church, if you will. And, uh, you know, she's got sort of this unofficial position, if you will. And the children, if, if the children are badly behaved, then, then that's a poor reflection on the pastor's family. And, you know, there have always been PKs, as they're called, preacher's kids, who have gone off the rails. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on the family because everybody's kind of watching you. Now, if this ever became widespread in the Catholic Church, by the way, most Catholic parishes are not set up for this. In terms of the rectories where, where the priests live, it, they're not set up normally for families to live in uh, because we haven't been doing that on a widespread. I'm not saying it couldn't change over time, but there are some real material and logistical barriers to this practice actually becoming a thing. You'd, you'd have to, the parish would somehow have to, to buy a, 
a house outside of the parish boundaries or whatever a parish property for the for the family to live in or the priest would have to the married priest would have to buy it himself that that sort of thing these are factors that people often don't think about i do agree with what you said dean about about the, just the expectation is not there on on the part of most catholic lady and this is what father joshua whitfield talked about he wrote an article about this in the dallas morning news about people kind of freak out sometimes um it's you're you are kind of a freak show if you're a married priest with a family in the Roman Rite, because it's just not that common. It's not that common. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Matt in Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Matt. Hello. <clears throat> so I, I kind of think that I'm going to be coming from the opposite side. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the reason for celibacy is the priests are an altar Christus. They are another Jesus. Jesus is not married. And we're told in the Bible that there is no marriage in heaven. So if the priest is supposed to be an analog to Jesus and a direct go-between, especially, you know, in uh, confession, then them being married does not seem to represent what Jesus set up as uh, the desired outcome for men that are going to be priests or altar Christus. So when a man looks to a priest, is he looking to him as an altar Christus or as another husband? And I think there's a very different dynamic that's set up when you allow for married priests. Right now it's an anomaly, mainly for converts who are coming in. But this, this is why the church went to celibacy all those years ago, because it was recognized finally that, you know, priests are another Jesus or an altar Christus. You know, we look towards him. And then also, from the practical standpoint, if a man becomes a priest and his primary job is, you know, performing priestly duties for the diocese, mm-hmm. who, who then is responsible for the wife and the children should something happen to the priest? Or conversely, what if there's medical issues or whatnot? Mm-hmm. That is then directly put on to the parish as a requirement. And I think that that sets up a very different dynamic to how we currently see priests and interact with them. Yeah, Matt, I just want to jump in there because you've hit on some, some interesting points there. Uh, with respect to your latter points, you know, what, if something happens to the priest, he's got, a, he's got dependents, he's got a wife, he's got children, who would take care of them? There are other employees in most dioceses, dioceses and archdioceses that are in fact lay people with families and they have medical care and they have you know pension plans and stuff like that just like any other employee of any other organization would have so they 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 would probably be covered under something like that but with respect to what you're saying about uh you know their altar they're, the priest is an altar christus another christ all christians are of course to be little christ in a certain sense for sure although we do, we're not we don't share in in that ministerial capacity as priests we do all share in the common priesthood of all the baptized, but not in the ability to confect the sacraments, to uh, absolve sins in the confessional, as a priest does. And that, that's a different ballgame for sure. And the argument that Jesus was celibate, hey, Jesus was celibate, so the priest should be celibate, is not an argument that is to be dismissed at all by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, in fact, if you really want to do a deep dive into this, if you really want to go deeper, there's a couple of interesting books that have been written in recent years 
This one's a little shorter. There's one called, uh, there's one about apostolic celibacy by Christian Cochini. It's published by Ignatius Press. I think it's called The Apostolic Origins of Priestly Celibacy. I think that's the name of it. Uh, Patrick Alog, you can fact check me on that one. But uh, Christian Cochini wrote that. It's a little bit shorter. There's also a, a bigger one written by a German scholar, Father Stefan Heid, H-E-I-D. It's also published by Ignatius Press. It's called uh, Celibacy in the Early Church. And, and a lot of these authors will actually, they'll say this, in fact, that celibacy was the norm, in, in that was the standard in the early church. And you say, well, what about the Eastern part of the church? What about the, what became the Eastern rites, the Orthodox churches of the East, which eventually broke away from the Catholic church? They, they've always had a married clergy for, for, for a long, long time. What these guys would argue, what these scholars would argue, is that they actually deviated from the norm. They kind of grew slack in their practice, if you will, and allowed priests, they kind of, kind of were dispensed from celibacy from a very early period of time, but that wasn't the, the standard. And you said, what about all the married priests? It's very clear that even, even you know, in the Western part of the church, there were married priests in the beginning. Here's what's kind of interesting about this. And I remember Father Joseph Fessio, speaking of Ignatius Press, the founder of Ignatius Press, Father Joseph Fessio, S.J., uh, former doctoral student of Pope Benedict, by the way. I had the chance, I had the opportunity to meet him some years ago when he was at Ave Maria University. Really, really uh, interesting guy. And he, he, uh, I would love to talk to him more about this because he has mentioned in the past that there's there's a lot of evidence, and he's not the only one who's talked about this, that if you were a married person and you were ordained, that the the couple had to agree, the, the, the wife and the husband had to agree before the ordination that they would be celibate within the marriage. They would be continent, if you will, within the marriage from that point on. And they both had to be okay with that. If the wife wasn't okay with that, the guy could not be ordained. You say, what's the evidence for this? Uh, Father Fessio talks about evidence of gravestones that have been found, ancient gravestones of guys who, this is what happened to them, where it lists certain dates, markers in their life on these gravestones. They were born on this day, and then they're married on this date. And then there's the birth of children. There's never any children born. And then there's the date of ordination. There's never any children born after the date of ordination. We know very well they were not contracepting. So the argument, this buttresses the argument that even those married uh, men who became priests, they were celibate from that point on, and that was the early tradition now that's not the case today. The, the, when a, when a, an Anglican clergyman becomes Catholic and he studies to become a Catholic priest, he's usually given a dispensation from the norm of celibacy. But it's interesting to look at the early practice, and uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, but anyways, I just thought you might be interested in that. We're gonna be we've got to take a quick break right here, but we'll be right back with more of your phone calls. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. It's the Kale Clark Show, only on Relevant Radio. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, happy that you all are my wingman, my wingmen and wing women <laughs> on the program. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We're revving up the last segment of the show. We're talking about priestly celibacy. Should it be relaxed? How would you feel if your parish priest was a married priest? And there are some married. Catholic clergy, not just in the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, but also in the Roman rite. Uh, most of us are Roman Catholics. 
And let, let's check out. I, I did promise you, and if you want to call in, weigh in on this, 888-914-9149. I asked you, would it bother you at all if, if your parish priest was a married priest? Would it affect the way you look at the faith? Um, what do you think about this? Well, I, I promised you that I would share with you what Father Joshua Whitfield wrote about this. Now, he wrote this back in 2017. And this is in the Dallas Morning News. And, and, and again, his picture was used on Twitter a couple days ago. Somebody was trying to say, hey, we should have more married priests like this guy. And he kind of weighed in and said, hey, that's my photo. I take exception to using this photo for this purpose, and here's why. Here's what I actually think about this. The, the article is basically called, I'm a married Catholic priest who thinks priests shouldn't get married. He says, I, I get it. I get it. I'm the equivalent of an ecclesiastical zoo exhibit. But... I'm also an example of the Pope making an exception, an exception to the norm for church unity. All right, so let, let's hear what Joshua Whitfield, Father Joshua Whitfield, says in his own words. And I'm going to quote him here. He says, My wife and I, we have four children. All of them are younger than seven. That was, this is back in 2017 at the time. I don't know if he has more children now. I don't know. He says, Ours is not a quiet house. A house of screaming and a house of endless snot. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. It's also a house of love grown and multiplied every few years. And a house of little sleep. My hobby these days is simply to sit down. <laughs> Fellow parents know what I mean. Just like that... La- okay, so he talks about this other family. He says, ours is a perfectly normal family. Normal, quote-unquote, understood, of course, in relative terms. It's both exhausting and energizing and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's the form and gift of my life, my family. But here's what's strange about us. He says, I'm a Catholic priest. And that is, as you probably know, mostly a celibate species. Now, the discipline of celibacy as a Christian practice is an ancient tradition. Its origins belong to the very mists of early Christianity, to the deserts of Egyptian monasticism, the wilds of ancient Christian Syria, and to Luke's gospel. For priests, celibacy has been the universal legal norm in the Catholic West since the 12th century, and the de facto norm long before that. St. Ambrose in the 4th century, for example, wrote about married priests, saying they were only to be found in backwoods churches, certainly not in the churches of Rome or Milan. Yet there have been always good reasons, exceptions made, for the sake of Christian unity in particular. The Eastern Catholic churches, many with married priests, have, since early modernity, flourished in the Catholic church. And and so then he starts to talk about how he's a, Father Joshua Whitfield is a convert from Anglicanism, and St. John Paul II established in the early 80s something called the Pastoral Provision. This is for clergy converts from Protestant backgrounds, mostly from Anglican backgrounds, to, to be ordained, to study and to be ordained as Catholic priests, keeping in mind, and this is this is what happened uh, with with uh, Joshua Whitfield himself before he became a priest. As an Anglican clergyman, he gave up his living, he gave up his job, he gave up his his income, and and this was around the time when he was having his first child. So it wasn't a great time for him to do this from a an economic perspective, but he did it because he was following the truth. He was following the truth where. It led, and that was straight into the Catholic Church, very much in the vein of John Henry Cardinal Newman, another uh, well-known Anglican, St. John Henry Newman, who was one of the first to do it. And so, th- this is interesting, because he says that this is really an example of an exception being made for Christian unity, because God wants all of his people, 
wants all Christians to be one in one visible church, the Catholic Church. And this kind of helps that process along, these clergy converts. Some of them bring entire congregations with them. Some of them don't. But he says, I get it. It's strange. And he talks about one particular time. It's kind of funny. He was celebrating Mass in St. Peter's in Rome. And his wife was <laughs> had the other three kids. She had her hands full. She was juggling. He had to actually, while he's walking... He had to push his baby boy in the stroller through the basilica as he made his way to the altar. The purse was hanging off the stroller. He's he's in his vestments, and, and the jaws were just hitting the floor. People were saying, what is going on here? And, uh, hey, it's just, that is definitely outside the norm. And people will ask him questions, he says, even at his parish. Are, are they your children? Uh, they're kind of whispering. Uh, yeah, they are. They are. And so we're, we're a normal Catholic family. But it, it's certainly not the norm when it comes to... The priesthood. So, so people ask. They basically take two views with him. Some people will say, "Hey, this is this is ridiculous. This the Pope should not allow this to happen." And he says, "Okay, you need to take that up with the Holy Father because he's the one that, that came up with this. Uh, JP two came up with this, and the other popes have followed suit. Take it up with him in Rome." And then other people say, "Oh, they look at him as as a change agent, the thin edge of the wedge." He says. A harbinger of a more quote unquote enlightened time in the church. Yes, we need more of this. We need more married priests. But he said, listen, you, you got to understand, and this has often been said, when you look at the Protestant world, they do allow married clergy. We don't exactly see guys beating down the doors of Protestant seminaries to try to get themselves ordained. It, it's, it's not the case. They have a clergy shortage as well. So that it's not the panacea that everybody thinks uh, that it would be. And he says, yeah, there are some practical advantages to being a husband and father and a priest because you, you do sort of understand certain situations in a different way. But what matters the most, he says, is not whether you're married or celibate. It's, it's whether you're holy. Holiness is what matters. That's for all of us, too. He's right about that. He's absolutely right about that. And so it, it's an interesting take. I, I'm going to actually um, put a link to this in the show notes. Producer Jim is going to put it in the show notes. You can check it out. Uh, he says a lot of other things about this, and they're well worth reading. It's a very, very thoughtful article. But, yeah, so so that that's the case. Um, I, I wonder what you guys think about this. Let's go quickly to the phones. Juan is calling from Long Beach, California. Hello, Juan. Hi, Kale. How you doing? Good. Hey, hey Kale. So, I guess um, I, I do feel like it would affect the way I uh, I communicate with my priest. Um Hmm. I uh, you know, I started studying my faith late in my life, so I started, you know, I, I didn't uh, I didn't know much. I never even heard of that being uh, allowed until uh, I started um, uh, learning more about my faith. And um, now I, you know, I, I have uh, I'm part of a confraternity, and uh, you know, it, it's a, a brotherhood of Saint Dismas. So okay. we're we're single men and we're married men and. We're just men of, of uh, you know, some some of the brothers are in the seminary. So as far as, like, being on, like, similar uh, levels, you know, mm-hmm. the, the church has that within the church. But the priest, I mean, he's our spiritual father. He needs to be able to speak to us uh, differently um, with a different perspective. Um, he has a different relationship with our Lord than, uh, than we do. And uh, when, we, when I go to my parish priest... Uh, uh, for anything, um, uh, especially uh, confession, um, you know, there's a different uh, relationship he has with our Lord that I have with my Lord, with our Lord. You know, and we all have that relationship. So I think uh, I think it would affect uh, our relationship with our priest. 
Yeah, again, I want to go back to something Father Joshua Whitfield said. Thank you, thank you, Juan, for that comment. Again, whether you're a celibate priest or a married priest, what's most important is that you're a holy priest. And not all celibate priests are holy, and not all married priests are are not holy. I mean, it it, it really, they have to cooperate with God's grace just like we do. And we need to pray for priests, absolutely, because uh, they they do carry, they're held to a high standard, obviously, and they will be judged more strictly because... Anybody who teaches is going to be judged more strictly, as Scripture says. So uh, it's very, very important, uh, the example that, that they give. It can really harm or help the faith of, of untold multitudes. We all, we all bring people with us to heaven, you know, please God, or not, or not, right? And so um, it, it's, it's something that we all need to, to pay heed to, not, not just those uh, uh, who are clergy. But, uh, you know, another thing, too, is that some people say, well, you know, a celibate priest can't really understand my issues. If He doesn't know what it's like to be married. Well, again, there needs to be some pushback on that, too, because for those of us who are married, who have families, the only marriage we truly understand is our own. Right? Um, we're only married to, to, to one spouse, and um, we understand our own marriages very well. Maybe not even that, that. You know, we need help with that sometimes. But, but these priests, they get to see people in different contexts, different relationships, different marriages, a wide breadth of, of relationships that they, that they get to know as, as pastors, as priests in the confessional and spiritual direction. They, can, they, they know a lot more in many ways about it uh, than just the person. Because really, again, all, all you know about really is your own marriage. Just another way to look at it. Um, for those that think, ah, this guy really, sort of the opposite tack, like this guy doesn't know what I'm, I'm going through, so why should I talk to him? And I've had people say that to me before. Um, he doesn't know what it's like experientially, maybe, but it's like a doctor. A doctor doesn't need to have the disease necessarily to know how to treat it. Um, that, that's, that's often true as well. Well, it's, it's an interesting topic to be sure, and we'll have to take this up again uh, tomorrow. If you want to call back on the program, please, please do. It's, it's a really, really interesting topic. Poor St. Dominic. We, we never even got to talk about St. Dominic today, but we will again tomorrow, I promise. We'll, we'll get to St. Dominic because really the whole month of August, by the way, the whole month of August is packed with incredible saint days. It's, it's really, really just a, a potpourri, a smorgasbord, if you will, of incredible saints, incredible days, and incredible inspirations for us as we go through. Uh, this month, this beautiful month of August. I kind of like August, too, because it's you know, some of the hot dog days of summer are kind of behind us, and and now we're kind of getting into the more September-ish weather, maybe not so much in some parts of the country, but uh, August is a great, great summer month, and it's going to be a great month for us on the K.O. Clark Show. And don't forget, The Faith Explained, 1230 Central, every day. I host that show as well as we go through Scripture with a Catholic point of view, because it's a Catholic book. Don't miss it tomorrow, 1230. And I'll be back again at 5 Central for the Kale Clark Show. Keep it locked to Relevant Radio all night long. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Aylock took your calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.